0: sermon today comes from 2nd Corinthians 5 verses 6 through 10 Uh, but Isaac asked that I would actually pick up the reading in verse 1 so uh, you don't have it on the slides but we'll be starting with 2nd Corinthians 5 and reading 1 through 10 but before we come to the hearing of God's word let's pray and ask for God's help that we would understand what he says to us today let's pray Heavenly Father, we are clay in your hands, and so, Father, I ask that you would dig ears for us to hear what your Spirit has to say, that we might not refuse your voice, but heed it gladly, for you alone have the words of life. Father, we pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. 2 Corinthians 5, picking up in verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come up and join Isaac. All right. Hey, it's all. All the ones. Y'all probably uh, wonder why I brought you here today.
1: I, really, I just wanted to brag. All right? I got a, a new house. Eh, relatively new. Um, all right. Look at this. Look at this. A good, good old house right here. Probably never seen a house this nice. It's pretty sweet. Check it out. Any, anybody jealous? I want to get in a house without holes. You know, this, is not, this is the best house you've ever seen. Right? No?
0: no?
1: What do you mean? It's not a good house? Well, there's, well, there's walls. You don't think so? You say, Have you seen a better house than this one? Yeah. Where? You may, show me one. Your house? Oh, yeah, I've seen that house. It's a pretty good house. Okay, okay, okay. let's stop bragging a little bit. All right, well, uh, nobody likes to brag her. All right, so listen. Um, well, I've got something else to show off. I've got the best meal that you've ever seen. I, I think it could probably feed the whole world. All right, check out this. Look at this good, tasty, tasty meal. Yeah, hmm. I got I got some carrots here. Let me look inside there. Yeah. anybody jealous yet? You think it's pretty good? You're not. There's no carrots, look there's just, it says, it says carrots, but there's just black dots on there, what's going on? That,
0: that's, that's Jesus. You
1: can go to them and then make the carrots. Okay, huh. interesting theory, interesting theory. Okay, I see, I see where you're going, I think I understand what you're saying. Okay, so let me be serious just for a second, okay? Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, you might have paid it, noticed this, he says, for, for while we're in this tent, he's talking about our bodies, it's a metaphor, while we're in this tent, while we're in these bodies, um, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, okay? we don't want to get rid of our bodies and, and then be gone forever, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Um, He who has prepared uh, us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee, okay? Um, Tents are fun to play in, and they're fun to live in for a day or two, maybe a week, but then you want to go back to your house, right? You'd rather live in a big, strong house, okay? And uh, what Paul's saying is that our bodies are kind of like a tent, and while it might seem like you've got them for a long time, well, when Jesus comes back, you're going to get a, a, a body that's even better. Your body's going to be transformed. It's going to be much better than your body is now. Like a house is better than a tent to live in. Okay? But Paul also says that our bodies are kind of like seeds, too. 1 Corinthians 15 says, And what you sow is not a body that is, to be, uh, that is to be, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, a little seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as He has chosen. So you put that, you know, it kind of seems wasteful. You take some seeds that maybe a bird would want to eat and you bury it in the ground. are like, oh, just throw it away, put it in the ground. We don't need it anymore. And then what happens to that seed? It'll it grows. I mean, is it better before or after it goes in the ground? Afterbirth. It's way better after because then it's yummy. It's better than just for birds, and it's, uh, it's a whole bunch of food there. Uh, it says, What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. So, uh, one day, when we die, and our bodies are laid in the ground, Paul says that, um, as sad as that's going to be, that there's actually something exciting about that, because one day, just like the seeds, we come back out of the ground. And if we put our faith in Jesus, then we come back even better than before, just like a, you know, a, some hot, buttered, you know, corn on the cob is way better than you know that single kernel that you buried in the ground. Every every graveyard is a garden, and every cemetery will one day be emptied, and the dead will raise. And um, and even the seeds will give up their dead, and they'll come back, just like those seeds come back. And what's raised up is going to be way better than you ever could have imagined, okay? So I want you to look forward to Jesus coming back, because just like that tent can't compare to the house you live at home, uh, and just like those seeds can't compare to like a really great meal that somebody cooks for you, these bodies are not as good as it gets. There's something even better. Okay, you go back to your parents. All right, we're uh, talk, today we're talking about what is the Christian hope. Let's pray before we begin. Uh, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, um, I. When I say what is a Christian hope, I don't mean uh, what is our only hope. Uh, We use the word hope to describe the only possibility we have of getting out of this uh, miserable estate we're in of sin and guilt. So Jesus, obviously, is our only hope. He's the only way that we can get to the Father. He's the only way that we can be justified. We can be forgiven and adopted into God's family. Uh, But the New Testament also talks about the Christian hope, and by that it means a future event in which every promise of God will be completely deli- delivered to us, okay? Uh, or as the Shorter Catechism says, it's a day where we will uh, have the full enjoying of God to all eternity. You know, we hope in many things. We We look forward to Christmas, maybe we look forward to graduating from school, we look forward to getting married, we look forward to retirement. Um, there's all sorts of things we look forward to and um, many good things to look forward to And but sometimes we put too much hope in these, you know, these little events in our lives and we find ourselves discontent because we, we thought all our problems would be solved once, you know, the kids were grown and moved out of the house and we could keep a clean house and then all the problems would be great. Um, and often we find that maybe it wasn't worth putting all our hope. But there is a day coming uh, that will not disappoint us at all. So, um, what is the Christian hope? I think if you were to ask most Christians in America today, they would probably think it's when we die and our bodies go on the ground and our spirits go to be with Christ in heaven. And it's a pretty good guess uh, because, you know, more Jesus and no sin is a fantastic day. It's way better than we could ever imagine, way better than anything we've had up, up to that point. Uh, but that's not the Christian hope. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 4-9 says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So we're, are, we're not placing our hope, we're not looking forward to having no body, we're looking forward to a greater body. So what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So that's why um, we get to a point where we think, man, it's, um, it will be something. It will really be something to, to die and be in a, the Lord's presence more than we are now. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So there's some truth there, but then when we're in the Lord's presence and our body's in the ground, we're, we're going to long for something even greater. And I like to think about it like this. You've got three homes, and uh, the, f- the first one is Jesus, as Paul says, to be away from the body, and at home with the Lord. If we put our faith in Christ, and we, we've walked with him, and we love him, then wherever he is is our home. It's like being married. Um, you know, Shauna and I, we're trying to set our roots deep into the East Tennessee soil, and, but if we had to, you know, go, go somewhere else, like El Salvador or something, we'd, um, as long as I get to go home to Shauna in the evening, I'm going to be at home. That's the same thing with the Lord. If we get to be with him, then yes, that's ultimately, that's our most important home, but there's a couple other homes that, that we have. Um, your body, as Paul says, would be the other one. Okay, this is our, our tent. You say, well, what's the big deal? Um, well, think about the fact that everything you've ever done has been through your body. You've never done anything outside of the body, and so you think about, Think about some of the popular songs, I Can Only Imagine, Will I Dance For You, Jesus, or Let All of You Be Still. You need a body to dance for Jesus. Okay? You need, a, you need a, a body to run up and give Jesus a bear hug. And as we'll see a little further on in the sermon, um, you're not even going to be able to fully enjoy the presence of Christ without your body. So that's your second home. Your third home is the cosmos, the world, this, uh, this planet, and um, I would say you know, the whole creation. Uh, Romans 8, 19 through 24 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So right now, the creation is under futility and decay, and um, it says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that's us. When we receive our new Improved bodies, the creation itself is set free. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. You know, you've loved the places that you've lived, they've become part of you, and there, there becomes Uh, A longing there. And you might say, well, you know, we always say, this world is not my home, but that's the sinful system of the world. It's influenced by Satan and and, uh, corrupted by human sin. Uh, But the planet itself is quite lovely and God made it and it's really nice and I like grass and trees and blue skies. So what we're looking forward to is all three homes coming together. We want Christ to return and bring heaven with them so that heaven and earth are united, and us to be resurrected and glorified with Christ, and so we can be at home with the Lord in our bodies on this planet. Well, when does this happen? Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 38 says, At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and, and acquitted in the day of judgment, and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Uh, we're going to be raised up on the day of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, the, the eternal punishment and an eternal reward uh, for things done in the body must be given to uh, full creatures that are body and spirit that have been raised from the dead. 1 John 3, 2 said, Beloved, we are God's children now. Oh, I skipped one. Acts 17:31. Because he has fixed a day, this is a future day, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, uh, there is a day coming where we will stand before the judgment seat, and we will be raised bodily. Then, 1 John 3, 2, beloved we are God's children now. You're already God's children. You've already been adopted into his family. Uh, It says, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but you might have noticed kind of a, um, what's the word, Uh, disharmony between You know, who we are and the glory of God. We don't seem to fit in really well in that family. It says, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When he appears, that's Christ. When Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, this is a pretty wild statement, okay? This is John who walked with Jesus. So he did, he's seen Jesus before. Um, and he was with Jesus at the transfiguration, so he even got to see the glory unveiled of Christ. Uh, he even walked with the resurrected Christ, so that's, that's pretty wild. And then, and then he also had a vision, Revelation 1, of the glory of the resurrected Christ. And so you think, well, you know, what's going to be special about that day when he returns if John has seen... Christ in all these forms, seemingly unveiled, but maybe not completely unveiled. Uh, he says that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Uh, what I think he's saying here is that we need to be made like him to fully enjoy the vision of his glory. Uh, when he saw him in Revelation 1, it was, it was a vision. It was in the spirit. He, he didn't see him with eyes, um, uh, clearly. Christ's glory was veiled when he rose from the dead, and everybody had a, even a hard time recognizing him sometimes. Um, but what? To be able to fully stand in his presence before his glory and to be able to um, you know, not be destroyed by it, not to be blinded by it, we need to have resurrected eyes. We need to have glorified eyes that have uh, come through death to the other side and been raised like Christ. I mean, it says, again, when he appears, we shall be like him. That's a shocking statement. You know, if it wasn't in the Bible, y'all should all, you know, drag me off the stage now. Except it's right there. What I'm trying to say is, if you right now were able to see a vision of the resurrected Christ standing beside the resurrected Daniel Brantley, you would not be able to figure out which one you should worship. You know, He's not going to become God, neither will you or I, but our glo- the glory that we're going to share is so wonderful that he says we will be like him. It's a crazy thought. We'll fit in, finally, into God's family because of the glory that will be given to us by the Spirit. And on that day, we're going to be openly acknowledged and acquitted. Uh, we know that we've been justified now because of what Christ did, because of His perfect life and His uh, substitutionary death and His resurrection. We've already been we've been pardoned and we've been received into God's family. But this is not something visible to the world. And as Paul says, we have the aroma of death to those who are perishing. And so naturally, we just um, you know for those who don't want to hear the message, we just kind of look like a bunch of you know, pompous windbags, and, and we, end, uh, we end up getting uh, falsely accused, and so the early church, you know, they're, um, they're cannibals, because they're always talking about eating this guy's body and blood, and they're um, incestuous, because, you know, that guy said that she was his sister, and now they're married, that's weird, what a bunch of weirdos. Um, and now, you know, we're you know, transphobes and homophobes, and whatever people come up with. And, you know, we're just the worst people in the world, so we're told, uh, what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment is that Christ is going to openly acknowledge that we are his and that you know, we actually have been uh, walking in his ways. Um, it's just the parable of the she- sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, uh, he'll place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So the unbeliever is raised up to punishment and, the, and very objectively judged um, based on all the things they've done wrong. Uh, but then Christ raises us up in glory uh, as his brothers and sisters and then covers our sins and shows off the great work of his grace in our lives and the way that we've obeyed him and honored him uh, in this world. And so he puts a, not only, you know, shuts every mouth that has rejected him as king, but shuts every mouth that has uh, spoken ill of his people. Well, kind of the last question is, you know, what will what will it be like? What will our bodies be like? Well, we've seen that already. First Corinthians fifteen, forty two through forty four. That will be imperishable, will be glorious, will be powerful, and um, it says it has raised a spiritual body. Not that we are not not that it's not a real body, but that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And those four words, that can give us a lot to meditate on for the rest of our lives as we think about But, um, you know, we can try to look for clues with Jesus and his resurrected body, but that's pretty tricky. So, uh, Revelation 1 says that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. We have this glorious vision of Christ. And uh, maybe John could have been even more specific if he had glorified eyes to see the glorified Christ. Um, the, the accounts of Christ after the resurrection are very mysterious. You know, no one immediately recognizes him. And we're not sure why. Maybe it's because of that white hair. You see all these guys walking around in beards, and now your buddy's, you know, solid uh, white. And you, you're like, what's going on? Who is this guy? Um. But then Luke 24, 31, it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. He's, um, he's eating with them and he vanishes. And then later, they're locked in their room, they're locked in a house, and he, he somehow gets into the locked house. And that naturally, they're thinking, "Well, this is, must be a ghost here, because how do you go through walls? Um, and he says, you know, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones. And you think, well, is that part of the upgrade, do we get to do that? And how does that even work? Is he going through the wall, or is it a fourth dimension thing? I don't know. No clue. Um, John 20, 27, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So he still has his scars. And some people have taken that to mean that uh, those who have been physically harmed for the sake of Christ that those scars will be glorified in the world to come. You read the voice of the martyrs, and you see some child who's got you know a, a scarred up face from you know being um, you know attacked by a machete or having scalding um, oil thrown on him or something, and and it's hard to look at. And it's quite possible that in the world to come, that same you know, just as strong as that aversion is to try to make ourselves see that now, that um, it'll be an even stronger draw to them, that this, look at this glorious, that it'll be transformed to something magnificent that draws us to them. Well, you know, whatever the case, we know that in that day we'll be like him. Well, what will the world be like? Well, again, it's, it's kind of hard to say. There's, we know there'll be no sin, because when we die, we, we'll be sinless, or... Our sin will die too. Um, and of course, after the judgment, then sin is gone, and the bad guys are gone. Uh, Revelation 21:4 says, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying nor pain anymore, For the former things have passed away." Now I think we can all testify that have walked with the Lord for any significant period of time, that the Lord is already wiping away tears from our eyes. He's already comforting us. But in that day, it's weeping itself that he wipes away. It's mourning that he wipes away. It's pain that he wipes away. Now all that stuff that, that causes the tears are wiped away. And often, you, you get these paintings where uh, the world to come is like a green field, and everybody's barefoot in their white robes, and maybe they're pointing up at the celestial city in the distance. and um, it's a lovely picture, and maybe it'll be something like that. But um, I don't, I don't think we're going back to the garden as much as we're going forward to a glorified world. And what I like to say, you know, I think about things I'd like to do in this life that I won't get to do. I, I don't have a bucket list, but I do have a uh, list of things that I'll do when I get when I'm raised from the dead, and so I think, well, oh, it'd be nice to go to Paris, but I don't see that happening, uh, and I don't, especially with all the other things I'd like to do, and so I think, well, I'll go do that in the resurrection. And you say, well, will Paris be there in the resurrection? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll be glorified. Maybe it'll be transformed. Maybe maybe Christ takes the places that have been special to us, and have, you know, our hearts have been, you know, bonded to them, and he'll, he'll transform into something special. Maybe it's like when a father builds a play set for his children, and that's the first thing he does, it's like, hey, hey, Timmy, you see that, that fireman's pole? Remember how you were at the park and you just went over and over on the fire pole sliding down? Now you can do that here. Or, you know, hey, Cindy, remember that, that swing you liked? How you can sit with your friend on the, the same swing? That's, I, I think maybe when we're resurrected, it'll be like that. Christ will have special things to show us. Hey, remember that old fishing hole that you left so much? Again, but we don't know. And you say, okay, what will we do in that world? Well, of course we're going to praise God, because we take the sin away, and, and then we just see him for all his, his worth and value, and, you know, at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. And we'll be fully satisfied in worship. But since we'll be perfected, everything we we'll re- we'll do will be glorifying him, and we'll be um, enjoying him. So it's not just only a worship service, but there'll be other things as well, like fellowship. It's a world without sin, which in in itself is hard enough for us to imagine. In this life, you've had moments approaching perfection. You've had evenings with dear believers who have encouraged you in the faith, and you've walked away and you've said, wow, I just, that was amazing. I feel so encouraged, and I see God's goodness having talked to them and shared with them is so wonderful and you you didn't regret something you said, and those moments approaching perfection are just little tastes of what that world will be like. Uh, In that world, because we've got all, you know, time is not an issue, I don't think goodbye will have the same meaning. It won't have the sadness involved that it does now, because there's always more time. You can, you go to a party over at Moses' house for a thousand years, and there's still time to go, uh, hang out with an old friend. And, and Jesus says, in that day there won't be uh, marriage or giving in marriage, but um, that doesn't mean that those companionships, those, those relationships will be dissolved, that we won't have um, those friendships we built up over a lifetime. I, I fully expect, I think about my great-grandparents in their nineties, holding hands, walking to get the mail. Um, and I fully expect to see them transformed in power and uh, walking hand in hand as they enjoy the world that God has made. Um, And on top of that, you're also going to have a job to do. You say, a job? uh, Hold on now. I don't know about that. Yeah, we've got a job to do. And you say, well, what kind of job are we going to do? Well, we can't even imagine what jobs will be like in 100 years in this world, much less what jobs will be like in that world. But we see these in, in the parable of talents and the minas. In Matthew 25, um, the master rewards the one who has doubled his five talents, and he says, well, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the reward is not just entering into the joy of his master, but being set over much. So you, you take... Everything you've done in this life, the truths you've believed and shared with others and your faithfulness with your family and at work. And and he says, hey, you've been faithful over a little. And then he takes that and and rewards us accordingly. Luke 19, when the nobleman returns, he says to the one who makes ten times the investment, he says, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Again, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor, it's a parable, you can't, um, obviously we can't all have cities or who would live in the cities, but it's, the idea is that compared to everything that he's given us to do in this life, it's just a very little thing, and then he rewards us with so much greater, and part of that reward is some job to do that we can't imagine, but in that day it'll all, all make sense, It'll we'll see how God was preparing us for that day, because You know, it's kind of, it's weird to think that we get to the end of this life and we're the most wise that we've ever been and then we just go in the ground. And there must be a use for that wisdom. There must be a world in which that wisdom uh, is put to a good purpose. Well, I don't have much of an application. um, All I really want to encourage you to do is to recalibrate your hope. Remember, there's a day coming that will not disappoint at all. Psalm 37:4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, That's already true, but it will be even more true in the world to come. So you find yourself disappointed, or maybe maybe you just find yourself disappointed because the good things don't seem to last quite long enough. Um, Remember that to place your hope in Christ's return and, and the transformed world. Remember that your best days are always ahead of you if you've placed your faith in Christ. You're getting old and you think, man, I sure would like to be able to swim for a couple miles without having to stop. And remember, I was young, I was so strong, and I could, you know, climb a tree like, like nothing, and you know, it's not even gonna compare to you when you're, you're raised up with Christ, the power that you'll have. And if you're young and you feel strong and invincible, well, you need to just remember that you're nothing compared to what you will be in that day. So we're looking forward to, I want to encourage you to look forward to our three homes coming back together for Christ to bring heaven back down to earth, uh, for the earth to be transformed and us to be transformed so that we can fully enjoy living with the resurrected Christ forever. Let's pray. Holy Father, I ask that you give every person here an excitement and great expectations for the coming of your Son. His glory is so far beyond our feeble frame that we must be transformed to enjoy him. Help us to long for a day that we cannot yet understand. And what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Help us to not take pride in our strength and glory in this world, for it cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Help us not to despair when we are weak and put to shame because you will cause all this to be swallowed up as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.